This is the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast, coming to you from the heart of Honolulu, Hawaii. Hui Kala is a dynamic family of faith committed to solid Bible teaching, discipleship, and helping you grow in your faith. Grab your Bible and prepare to dig deep into the Word with Pastor Anthony King. Grab your Bible, Philippians chapter 2 this morning. Uh, again, we're continuing uh, Philippians 2, verses 5 through 11. I got some good news for you. We're finished with verse 11, and next week we're going to go on, can you believe it, verse 12. We're just cruising through this passage. I know you're pumped about that, uh, but here's the thing. There's so much good stuff in this passage of Scripture. Uh, so many great truths. I don't want to leave anything out. I want to make sure that we give it uh, the time that it's due. And so today we're taking a look at power in the name of Jesus. Uh, Philippians chapter 2, we're going to start in verse number 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, took upon himself the form of a servant, was made in the likeness of men, being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. That the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth. That every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. The name of Jesus is a name like no other name. Uh, names uh, for, for some people mean a lot. Some of you might uh, have a name that's really important to your family or a name that you were given. You take our family, for example. My, uh, my name is Anthony. Uh, my Anthony means worthy of praise. Man, that's a good name. I don't know if my parents thought of that when they thought of my name, but that's a good name, Anthony, worthy of praise. Uh, my wife's name is Angela, uh, and so that means uh, angelic, which is definitely describes my wife to a T for sure. Uh, Angel is a messenger of heaven, so the, the Angela could also be messenger of heaven. Uh, her name is Angela Catherine. She was named after both of her grandmothers on both sides of uh, her family. One was named uh, Catherine, one of them's middle name was Angela, so she was named Angela Catherine. Uh, really cool. So it came to time to name our kids, and we didn't want to give them plain Jane vanilla names, so we thought we want to give our kids strong names and, and really heavy, uh, weighty names, if you would. You know, I think Anthony's a good name, but it's a, kind of an average common name. And so our first son's name was Thatcher. My wife chose that, and Thatcher's name means a roofer. You see, kind of from the beginning, we didn't put a lot of thought into the meaning of the name. Just did it sound good? Did it sound solid? And so uh, we went with Thatcher. Uh, my, my second son, Vanderlei, who's 19 years old, his name is Vanderlei, literally has no meaning whatsoever. Like, you look at everything. Like, you can't find a website that gives you a meaning at all. Uh, my daughter, Makili, uh, her name is uh, the uh, European form of Michelle, also a uh, derivative of Michael, which means close to God, which also means who is like God. And so it's a good, uh, you know, godly na- name for a, a girl. Our daughter Cholula, we liked it, but uh, her name means running water. It's a Native American name. We just thought that it sounded cool, so we went with uh, Tallulah for our baby girl. But I remember when it came time to, to name Vanderlei, you know, we didn't really have, we didn't know what we were going to have. We didn't find out ahead of time, and so we were uh, kind of talking about names back and forth and things like that. And my wife was probably, I don't know, seven, eight months pregnant, and she went to bed, and so I had stayed up late to, to watch some TV. And I had gone to Tower Records. How many of you remember Tower Records, right? And I had bought the Pride Fighting Championship DVD set. And so uh, I was watching DVDs late at night of, of fights and stuff like this. And this guy came on, his name was Vanderlei Silva. And I thought, man, this guy is a machine. He's awesome. And so I like the name Vanderlei. And so my wife woke up the next name, sweetheart, I got a, a baby name for us. And she's like, what is it? I said, Vanderlei. 
And she was like, is that a boy's name or a girl's name? I said, it's totally a boy's name. It's like manly, like, oh. She was, well, what does it mean? I go, I can't find that it means anything really at all. And she said, well, where did you find it? And I said, well, you know, there's this, like a Brazilian kickboxer guy, you know. And, and, and she was like, show me a picture of him. I said, you don't want to see a picture of him because he's really ugly. Uh, and she said, does he have like a nickname that he goes by or something like that? And I said, you don't want to know that either. And she was like, tell me what it is. And I said, his nickname is <clears throat> the axe murderer. <laughs> and she was like, absolutely not. Under no circumstances whatsoever will we name our son Vanderlei. And I was like, all right, fine, whatever. So uh, anyways, she goes, she's in labor. And again, we still don't know what we're having. And so we're going back and forth on baby names. We can't come up with anything at all that we agree on. And we're, we're walking the halls while she's in labor, you know, making the laps around there. And it happens to be the exact same hospital that my daughter's in this week, Kapilani uh, Hospital up here. Walking laps around the hallway, and uh, she says, what do you got for boy names? And I said, the only thing I got is Vanderlei. She said, I hate it. And she said, uh, I said, what do you got for girl names? And she goes, I really like Millicent. And I go, oh, I went to high school with a girl named Millie, and there's no, how many of you know what I'm talking about, right? Oh, I went to high school with somebody that name. I just couldn't see naming my kid that. Beautiful name. I did not like that girl, and so I can't go with Millie. And so we just went back and forth. And finally, we said this. If it's a boy, I get to name it. If it's a girl, you get to name it. And she said, deal. And we shook on it. Oh, she was so sure she's having a girl. This, I'm, I'm not making this up. She's having birth. She's giving birth to this baby. The baby comes out. The doctor looks and she goes, it's a boy. And my wife goes, no, no. And I was like, yes, yes. And my, uh, the doctor turns to me and she was like, Dad, do we have a name yet? And I said, yes, we do. <laughs> she said, what's the name? I said, Vanderlei James King. James is my dad's name. And so Vanderlei James King. And the doctor goes, I love it. And my wife goes, I hate it. <laughs> and so no lie, for the next 24 hours, we went back and forth over the name. And she was like, you're not really going to do this, are you? I was like, I'm totally going to do this. And they came, you know, you have to sign right here for the birth certificate, the name you're going to put on there. And she was like, please don't do this. Please don't do this. I don't want to do it. And I did it. <laughs> That's what we got. What does it mean? It means nothing. <laughs> and every now and then somebody will be like, Vanderlei, is that like, it's like, please don't bring that up. Uh, if you're an MMA fan, please do not bring up that around my wife. Uh, but, but it's one of the things that now you can't imagine him having any other name, right? It's just Vanderlei, it's just who he is. Uh, he's, he's Van now to some people, because some people can't think of it, uh, how, to, how to say it. But just, just Vanderlei to us, and it's, it's normal. Now, when it comes to the name of Jesus, that's in like its own category of special. It's in its own category of being unique. It's, it's bigger than anything else. The name of Jesus is like no other name. And here's the crazy part about Jesus. It means something, and it means something really, really good. Even before Jesus Christ was born, it was prophesied that his name would be called the Counselor, the Prince of Peace, the Mighty God. His name would be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. And so we think about the name of Jesus, it's really, really big. And if we take a look at, through here at Philippians chapter 2 this morning, I want you to follow along this passage. First of all, uh, verse number 9, wherefore God has highly exalted him, given him a name which is above every name. We see, first of all, that Jesus Christ is exalted of, by the Father. We took a look at this all last week, so I'm not going to go back. It, but just by way of review, God has taken Jesus Christ and has highly exalted him. The word highly exalted means super exalted. Like if anybody was ever exalted or lifted up before, Jesus is super high, holy, lifted up above all of that. He has been highly exalted by God the Father. God has first of all exalted him and given him this position. 
So he's exalted by, first of all, his position. We took a look again at this last week, that Jesus is given the position of authority by God the Father. Psalm chapter 89, verse number 27 says, And also I will make my firstborn higher than the kings of the earth. Uh, Ephesians chapter 1, Paul says this in verse number 19. What is that exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him in his own right hand in heavenly places, far above principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. The name of Jesus has been exalted, not just for a certain period of time, but Jesus has been exalted from eternity past to eternity future and everything in between. And God the Father has exalted the Son. And the Father is also exalted in him in his name. Again, verse number nine says he's given him a name which is above every other name. So even the name of Jesus automatically puts him in his own category, automatically puts him in a unique position like none other. As we take a look at the, the name of Jesus and everything that it entails, we begin to unfold really the exaltation of God the Father and God the Son. We see, first of all, that there's power in the name of Jesus. There's no other name that has power behind it. Again, we tried to give our kids unique names that maybe everybody didn't have. Uh, the bummer for all of our kids is they never found their name on a, a personalized toothbrush. Uh, you know, they never find their names at a keychain when we go to Gatlinburg. You know, it's, it's like that just is what it is, you know. Uh, but we think to ourselves, we give these kids good, strong names. I remember Thatcher when he was in first grade. Uh, had come home uh, one day with uh, some paperwork that had the name John on it. And I thought, he got his papers mixed up with some kid at school or something like that. And it happened about two days in a row. And we finally sent his teacher back a note, back before you had, we were able to email the teacher, right? Uh, sent the teacher back a note on his homework saying, we're getting John's homework and his parents are going to be really upset that they're not seeing his homework. And the teacher sent back a note saying, Thatcher doesn't like his name anymore and wants to be referred to as John. <laughs> what? And so we had to talk that night. He said, Thatcher's really long. John's like three letters. It's like, well, first of all, most people don't spell it J-O-N. It's J-O-H-N, son. Uh, but either way, you don't get to just pick your own name. We gave you a good name. It's like a strong name, Thatcher. I know it means a roofer. That's your mom's fault. Uh, but it's a strong name, right? So when God the Father exalted Jesus Christ, he's given him not only a position of authority, but he's given him a name above every other name. The name Jesus literally means Jehovah saves. Now, it's interesting to note that the name Jesus, this is going to blow your mind, isn't specific and uh, unique just to Jesus Christ alone. The name Jesus, even in biblical times, would have been a, a fairly common name, and the, the fact that Jesus' Hebrew name would have been Yeshua, which again means Jehovah saves. But our English version of Yeshua is the name Joshua, which we go back to uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua. It's a, verse, it's a book of the Bible, you know, it's the successor after Moses was Joshua or Yeshua. So the name Yahweh saves or Jehovah saves wasn't unique only to Jesus. And we see this even in cultures today. It's typically prevalent in Hispanic cultures where someone's name will be Jesus, uh, which is the, the Hispanic pr pronunciation of Jesus. And so people still are naming their kids Jesus. So the name itself, Jesus, is not necessarily unique to Christ alone, but it's the power behind the name of Jesus Christ means Jehovah saves. 
Acts chapter 4, verse number 12, uh, Peter's preaching. And he says, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. The only name in the world that can save you is the name of Jesus. That's it. When we think of the idea that Jesus saves, we need to understand that Jesus saves sinners. And sometimes we hear the phrase Jesus saves, and the question then automatically becomes, Save us to what? What does Jesus really save us from? And that's, that's critical because we say that Jesus came to save sinners. Then I think the question becomes, then why do we need to be saved? The Bible says that we've all sinned against God, that there's none righteous, no, not one, that God had guidelines and laws and rules, and we've broken every single one of them, every opportunity that we get. That the Bible says that we come forth from our mother's womb speaking lies from the very beginning of time, from the very beginning of our existence, we have been sinners Romans chapter 5 says that by sin entered into the world by one man, that was Adam. And because of that, sin and death has passed upon all men. So if you have a dad, you're a sinner. That makes all of us. There's none righteous, no, not one. Because of our sin, our sin has not only separated us from God, the same way that Adam and Eve were separated from God in the Garden of Eden. But the Bible says the wages, the consequences of our sin is death. Romans chapter 6, verse number 23. We're all going to die one day. And the Bible says it's appointed unto man once to die, and after that, the judgment. We'll be judged, every single one of us, the Bible says, according to the way that we lived our lives. But really, at the end of the day, heaven or hell is not based on how good of a person we were or what we did with our lives. Heaven or hell is determined on the fact of who's going to pay for your sin. And you're more than welcome to pay for your own sin if you like. The Bible talks about what that looks like. The book of Revelation, chapter 20. And it says that the dead, small and great, stood before God and he opened the books. And one book was called the book of life. And whoever's name was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire for all of eternity. This is the second death. So the wages of sin, death. Hell is your punishment forever. But here's the good news. God loves you too much to allow you to go to hell. God loves you too much to allow you to remain in your sin. So God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, Jesus, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, should not see death, but should have everlasting life. So we see, first of all, that Jesus saves us from death. We deserve to die. I deserve to die. You deserve to die. But Jesus stood in our place and Jesus died for our sins. So you see, first of all, that Jesus saves us from our sin. Jesus saves us from death. Jesus saves us from God's wrath and punishment. Jesus saves us from a lifetime of eternity in hell. Jesus not only is good after this life is over, Jesus is good for this life. And the fact that Jesus saved us from a purposeless life as well. But you can't get around the fact that Jesus saves. Keep your finger here in Philippians. We're going to come back in just a sec. But flip back to Romans chapter 5, if you would. If you've never had an opportunity to read through the book of Romans, it is so rich with doctrine and so much good stuff. Paul wrote the book of Romans to a church that he had never actually visited before. And uh, I, I think of such doctrine that we get from the book of Romans in <laughs> Romans chapter 5, starting in verse number uh, 6. 6 through uh, 9, you should highlight these verses, circle, star them, underline them. If you're using a Bible app on your phone, highlight it in the app that you use. These are such good verses. 
I love verse number six, Romans chapter five, verse number six, for when we were yet without Christ, without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. I see first of all in this passage that Jesus didn't come to save really religious people who had their acts together. He came to save the ungodly. And so often when I'm sharing my faith with people and, and again, this Saturday we're having a class where I teach people how to share their faith better. If you're interested in that, sign up for it today. No cost, eight o'clock Saturday morning. We're gonna spend a whole day talking about how to share your faith better. Oftentimes when I'm sharing my faith with people, they say, well, pastor, you don't know the things that I've done. You don't know the things I've been involved with. Uh, you don't know the sin that I have. And I tell them, then you don't know how good Jesus is because Jesus came to die for the ungodly. And if you're ungodly, Jesus came to save you. If you're a sinner, Jesus came to save you. Now, if you have your own religious system where you have no need of a savior, you've got your own thing going on and you've got things going and, and you're good, then Jesus didn't come to save you because you got your own thing going on. But if you're a sinner, if you're the ungodly, Jesus came to save you from your sin. But thankfully it doesn't stop there. Take a look at verse number uh, seven. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. For me, especially this past week and, and seeing my daughter in a hospital bed, I think to myself, if I had the opportunity to be in the hospital and, and she'd be out, I'd do it in a split second. If it came down to me or my wife, I would gladly give my life for my wife's life. No questions asked. My kids, no questions asked. I wouldn't even think twice about it. You know, if my kid was going to get hit by a bus, I'd push them out of the way and I'd get hit by the bus. I wouldn't even think twice about it. That's what that verse says. And I think who has kids that they love would, would think same thing, no question asked. And it says, yet peradventure would uh, a good man, some would even dare to die. There are maybe a list of, I don't know, maybe three or four people in my life that I know and love well enough that given the right circumstances, I might consider giving my life for, possibly. Now, I'd really have to think about it a lot. I'd have to really put a lot of thought and prayer and consider it, these good guys that I know. But here's the thing, verse number eight but God commendeth or demonstrates his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You got some child molester, some serial abuser, some woman beater, some drug addict, some alcoholic, some guys who's gambled his kids' grocery money away this week. I'm not even gonna think twice about giving my life for them. That's a hard pass. No, not gonna do it. You take someone who I don't know, have no connection to whatsoever, that is a reprehensible human being by every category that you could possibly imagine, don't ask me to give my life for them because my life is valuable. But God demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus died for the most reprehensible human being. And lest I think that I'm better than anybody else, I need to understand that when it comes to God's scoring category, I myself am a reprehensible human being. And here's the good news. Jesus died for me. Jesus thought that I was worthy of his life to give to save me. And so I'm thankful that Jesus saves sinners. It doesn't matter what you bring to the table, all the ground is level at the cross. Everyone can come to Jesus for forgiveness, no matter what they've done. And Jesus saves sinners. It's in his name, Jehovah, God saves. But flip back to Philippians chapter two. 
We see that there's not only power in the name of Jesus, there's also power in the name of Lord. You see, Jesus is given a title of Lord that's kind of as high as it gets. And again, you only have to, to read through the last few verses that we have here. If you take a look again at Philippians chapter 2, verse number 7, but made himself of no reputation, he emptied himself and took upon himself the form of a servant or slave. So here we see that Jesus Christ was God. He humbled himself and took upon himself the form of a slave. And now God has exalted him back to the position of Lord or master. You see, Jesus is no longer slave. He's no longer servant. He is now Lord of all. So we see God the Father with God the Son And God the Son purposely made himself of the lowest possible position he could find, the form of a slave. And then God has exalted him by the name that he's given him of Lord and has exalted him in that title. In the New Testament, he's called Lord 747 times. In the book of Acts, he's referred to as the Savior only twice, but he's referred to as Lord 92 times. The lordship of Jesus Christ, the fact that Jesus Christ is Lord, is one of those things that you just can't get around in in Christianity and still be a Christian. Jesus Christ, we must recognize him as Lord. Now, what does that mean? It means the name Lord is the name above all names, literally. There's no higher title that you could give to a person than Lord. That's as high as it gets because Lord, when it comes to the flow chart, he's always on top. There's never anybody above Lord. That means that he is literally, Jesus Christ being Lord has the name above all names. There's not another title that we could give to Jesus that would make him higher than Lord. Again, we could call him Savior. That's important. We could call him the Christ. That was definitely important. But Lord is as high as it gets. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse number 17. For the Lord your God is a God of gods, a Lord of lords, a great God, a mighty and terrible, which regardeth not persons, nor taketh reward. Again, the Lord your God is a God of all the gods, of all the gods in the world. Our God is the greatest. It's, it's interesting. There was a, a guy who had uh, attended our church uh, a couple of Easter's ago, who was a guest of one of uh, the men that goes to our church. We were talking after the service. I said, what did you think about the service? He goes, I thought it was great. He goes, you know, I, uh, I, I thought... One of the songs you sang, he said, I thought was really good. I said, what was that? He said, uh, how great is our God? And he said, it was like, uh, it was like you know how they do it, like, like school uh, pep rallies, you know, we got spirit, how about you? We got spirit, how about you? Like that, it's like, our God's the greatest, how about your God? I was like, that's not what that song means. It means our God is like the only God. And we're talking about the greatness of the only God that exists. And he goes, no, I don't really think that song's what that means. I think it means like, like of all the gods out there, yours is the best. And I, I, I like the idea that you, like, you, you like think your God's pretty good. You missed it. <laughs> Our God is, first of all, the only God. Second of all, he's greater than any other God that you could possibly think up or make up. And he's like, oh, yeah, cute song. Bro, you don't get it. <laughs> Our God is the only God. But not only that, if there were other gods, he's the God of all gods. Of all the kings on the earth who would call themselves king, our king is greater than all of them. All who would take the title of Lord or Master, he is the Lord of all lords. He's as high as it could possibly get. 
Revelation chapter 19 says it this way, speaking of the end times or eschatology. Eschatology is the study of end times. At the end of days, Jesus Christ will come and will develop a millennial kingdom here on earth in a literal sense in the fact that in Jerusalem there will be a throne and Jesus Christ will personally set upon that throne. He will have a thousand year reign. The Bible says all of us that are Christians will rule and reign with him. I don't know exactly what that looks like. But the Bible says that when Jesus Christ comes to the There'll be a great battle there and Jesus Christ obviously will be victorious because he is undefeated and always will be. But the Bible says in Revelation chapter 19, verse number 16, he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Now, I don't exactly know what that means. I don't mean, I don't know if he has like a robe that he's going to put on when he gets on his white horse and on the back of his robe is emblazoned on the back in totally awesome letters, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. I don't know what it means that he's going to have a name written on his thigh. I don't know like as his robe rides up while he's on his white horse, if he's got this really sick tattoo on his thigh that says King of Kings and Lord of Lords. I don't know what that looks like. All knows what the Bible says. Here's the fact of the matter. Of all the kings on the earth, he's your king. Of all the lords or masters on the earth, he is your Lord. He is tops. He's as high as it gets. And there is no other title that we can give him higher than the title of Lord. Lord's a title of majesty. It's a title of authority. It's a title of honor. And it's a title of sovereignty. It's as big as it gets. You see, there's many people who would take the name of of title of king many who take the title of lord but you see to get that title you have to take it for yourself jesus is given the name lord who gives it to him the father gives it to him he has been placed in a position of authority and he's not just stuck in a role he's also given the title and everything that comes with the title he's given the title of lord you see in the old testament there were Two different names when we talk about God or the Lord. There was the name Adonai, and the name Adonai is sometimes translated in the Old Testament as God. The name Adonai means divine authority. He's the boss. He's put up by God to be the one that's in charge. And when we refer to God as God, he's the authority given divinely. And so the name Adonai would be referred, typically translated as the word God in the Old Testament. There was another name that we sometimes see as Lord, Depending on your, your Bible uh, publisher that you have, sometimes the word Lord in the Old Testament will be in all caps or what's referred to as small caps. Anytime you see Lord in all caps or small caps in the Old Testament, it's generally the word Jehovah or Yahweh. And for the Jews, the name Yahweh uh, was huge. It was kind of a, God's covenant name that he had with his people. When Moses said to God, God says, go to the the promised land, and, or go, sorry, go to Egypt and lead the children of Israel out. Moses says, well, what's your name? What am I supposed, who am I supposed to tell him that sent me? And Moses, and Moses was told by God, I am has sent you. Jehovah God has sent you. The name that God would have with his people under the covenant would be Jehovah or Yahweh. And for the Jews, this name was so incredibly huge, the, the name of Jehovah that they didn't feel it appropriate or reverent to write out the full name of Jehovah, so they would abbreviate it with Y-H-W-H, Yahweh, taking out all the vowels, leaving only consonants, because they didn't feel it appropriate to write out God's whole name. 
Sometimes you'll still see this even among uh, Messianic Jews. Sometimes when they write the name of God, they'll put G underscore D because they don't want to write out God's whole name because they deem that to be irreverent or unholy in some way. Because the name of the Lord is so highly revered by them. Sometimes uh, Orthodox Jews also, as they read the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, they consider God's book to be so holy that they won't touch it with unclean hands. So what they'll do is they'll take two sticks, almost like chopsticks, and turn the pages because the book itself is so holy they don't want to touch it. I'm thankful that we don't have to, to, make, to flip through the Bible with chopsticks, but I like the idea of God's word being holy like that to us. I like the idea of God's name being so reverent that we don't just use it flippantly, that we actually take time to think about God's name. When scribes would write and make copies of scripture. When they came to the name of God, or the name of Jehovah, and they were going to copy the name out, they would have to stop first. They would do a ceremonial cleansing where they would wash their hands and wash their entire body. They would take a new quill or a new uh, pen to write with in a separate inkwell, and they would write the name of God with that pen, and then set that pen to the side, and then carry on the writing with the rest of it. Next time they came to the name of God, they would stop. They would ceremonially cleanse themselves, and then they would get the special pen that was only for writing the name of God and the special inkwell that was only for writing the name of God and write that. Now, I'm thankful that I don't have to stop and, and wash myself every time I type the name God on my keyboard. I'm thankful for that. I've sanitized my hands more time in the last 12 months than I have in my entire life. I'm thankful I don't have to do more of it just to write God's name. But hold up for a sec. I love the idea that God's name is so highly revered that I can't just say it flippantly I can't just write it and not think about it. I can't sing songs about the name of Jesus and just like, oh, Jesus, oh, Jesus. No, I want to stop and think about what that name means because that name is higher than any other name. We talk about the name of Jesus in Philippians chapter 2. Take a look at verse number 10. That the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, things in heaven, things in earth, and things under the earth. You see, the name of Jesus demands universal recognition. Everybody needs to recognize that Jesus Christ is Lord. There's coming a day when everyone will stop to worship the name of Jesus Christ. But all of creation recognizes that Jesus Christ is Lord. Did you know that the sun continues to burn because Jesus Christ allows it to? So even the sun recognizes the Lordship of Jesus Christ because the Bible says that Jesus created all things and sustains all things. Did you know that the rain that we've had this week, although it's pr probably put a damper on some of your plans, it's a bummer to drive in, in the rain in Hawaii because nobody knows how to drive in the rain in Hawaii, if you figured that out. Can you imagine if it like sleeted here? It would just be over, like just wrap it up. But like the rain this week, it rained because Jesus allowed it to rain. Think about that for a second. So even the rain clouds are subject to the lordship of Jesus Christ. When Jesus Christ was praised Jesus says if these people stopped praising, the rocks themselves would cry out because no one can contain the praise that is due to Jesus Christ. You know why? Because creation cries out that Jesus Christ is Lord. Romans chapter 14, verse number 11 says that for it is written, as I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. But not only does it require universal recognition, but the name of Jesus demands universal worship. It's not enough that you know who Jesus is. You must 
and you will worship him. Take a look at verse number 10. That if the name of Jesus every knee should bow and things under heaven and things in the earth and things under the earth, that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. When you think about this, the Bible says that there's coming a point where everyone will worship Jesus Christ. And so I know people that don't believe in Jesus. Well, there's coming a day when they will. When you stand before God, you will have no choice but to bow in reverent, holy worship and recognize with your own mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's what the Bible says here. Everyone will worship at some point. Now, this is a good time to, to, to pause here and make you aware of some false teaching that's out there about this particular passage. This passage is sometimes used as a proof text for what's known as universalism. If you're taking notes, write that down. Do some deep dive research on YouTube. That's the source of all truth these days, right? If it's on YouTube, it must be real. But I say that in jest. Uh, but uh, look at universalism. The idea behind universalism is this. Eventually, everybody's going to get saved. Eventually, we're all going to go to heaven. Eventually, everyone will accept Christ as Savior, and it's only a matter of time. Even those who die in disbelief, even those that die in rejection of Christ, will, will go to hell. They'll be punished. They'll be judged. But then there's coming a day where they get to come back around and eventually go to heaven with everybody else. And this verse, according to them, is proof of that, that every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That idea of universalism could not be further from the truth. It's a lie set up by the devil himself because if you reject Christ as Savior and you die in your sin, you will endure God's wrath and punishment for all of eternity. End of story. When you die and go to hell, there's no second chances. There's no getting out. There's no do-overs. Read Luke chapter 16. Jesus tells of a rich man who died and went to hell. And he says, hey, uh, Abraham, if you could bring me like a, a, a drop of water and put it on my tongue. Abraham says, I can't because there's a great gulf fixed between us and that you can't pass from one side to the other. Jesus himself said that. And so if you believe that you can get out of hell and go to heaven someday, then you disagree with Jesus. And I'm sorry, I'm not taking your side, I'm taking his. So again, universalism is not taught in this passage. What is taught is that you will either stand before God and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord out of love, adoration, and worship for your Savior, or you will eventually bow before him and confess it before you head to your eternal wrath and judgment in hell. But one way or another, you will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus will either be worshipped in grateful adoration for his salvation or in fearful despair of God's wrath. Those are your two choices. It's my job and your job to let everybody in the world know that you can be saved through Jesus Christ so that when you bow your knee, it's in worship and adoration and gratitude for the salvation that you've been given. Because one of these days you're going to bow one way or the other. Unfortunately, I've heard Christians with a less than compassionate spirit say foolish, hurtful, harmful things to the cause of Christ, like things like, well, that's fine if they reject Jesus. They'll bow one day right before they burn in hell. <laughs> that hurts. The fact that you could laugh about anybody going to hell means you don't understand what hell's about. The fact that you would have joy in your heart that anybody's going to be burned for all of eternity just says you don't understand what hell's about. You don't understand the heart of Christ. That when he saw people without faith, 
He was moved with compassion and looked upon them as sheep having no shepherd. Jesus' gut reaction was not laughter and pride. His gut reaction was a broken spirit and compassion for these people. When I see people without Christ, I'm compassionate towards them. I want to see them come to faith in Christ. So again, the idea that everybody gets to go to heaven not found in Scripture, the idea that everyone will worship Jesus one day, definitely there. But some people will worship before they endure God's wrath. One author put it this way, on the lips of those who belong to God, this will be a willing, continuing, and loving declaration of allegiance and adoration. If you're a Christian, I hope that's you. That when you stand before God one day and you confess Jesus Christ as Lord, I hope it is the greatest day of your life. But for those who've rejected him, the confession will be an unwilling but irresistible, compelled acknowledgement of Jesus Christ as the sovereign Lord of the universe by those that are under his immutable or unchanging judgment. I'm trying to keep every person that I know from ever meeting God's wrath. And I hope you will too. That's not a pastoral duty, that's a Christian duty. The Bible says we're ambassadors of Christ. It's our job to help people how to know Jesus and, and to avoid God's wrath and judgment by allowing Jesus to pay that price for them. But at the end of the day, the Bible tells us that Jesus Christ will be worshiped by those in heaven, by those in earth, and by those in hell. Verse number 10, the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of things in heaven, things in the earth, and things under the earth. Verse number 11, that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. You see, Jesus Christ is Lord whether one chooses to recognize that now or not. It's kind of the bottom line here is that Jesus Christ is Lord. Now, I've heard some well-meaning pastors from time to time encourage people and implore from people, hey, you need to come to Jesus. You need to make Jesus Lord today. And would you be willing to make Jesus Lord and, and things like that? And I understand what they're saying, but please understand this. Jesus doesn't need our permission to be Lord. He is Lord. I don't get to make him Lord. God the Father has made him Lord. God has assigned him that title. Now, is it appropriate to say that I can allow him to be the Lord of my life? allow him to be my master and submit to myself as his slave? Definitely. There's a, definitely an application there. But Jesus isn't sitting around waiting for anybody's permission to be made Lord. God the Father has already made him Lord, and you will either recognize that now or you'll recognize it later, but you will recognize that Jesus Christ is Lord. Period. You can do it now or you can do it later. Peter, as he's preaching on the day of Pentecost, I can't imagine what that would be like. The very first time ever that the gospel has been so boldly proclaimed in front of thousands of people from all over the world. The Bible tells us that that day, 3,000 people saved, baptized, added to the church. Who got to do that that day? Peter did. <laughs> the guy who denied Jesus three times, the guy who cut off the, the servants here, the guy who said multiple ridiculous statements. God chose him to be the guy that preached on the day of Pentecost. But here's what Peter said in uh, Acts chapter 2, verse number 36. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus. And he stops for a second. Whom you crucified. God has made Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now, it's important to understand the breakdown of Lord Jesus Christ. 
Lord is the position, the title, master that God has given him, that Jesus Christ is above everything. He's in charge of everything. He is the boss. He's as big as it gets. He's at the top of the food chain. Lord. Jesus was the given name that, that Mary gave him. It means Jehovah or Yahweh saves. It was the name that she was supposed to give him from God the Father. Yahweh saves. The title Christ, Messiah, the chosen one. The one who will come to deliver us of our sins. The prophesied one of the Old Testament. Lord Jesus Christ. And Peter says, God hath made him, Jesus, who you crucified, both Lord and Christ. So the idea that you or I or anybody else in the world could keep Jesus from being Lord, it's ludicrous. We don't have that authority. God the Father has that authority and he has chosen to make Jesus Christ Lord see verse number 11, that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Jesus' journey of humiliation and exaltation glorifies the Father. This journey that Jesus went on from being God and thought it not robbery to be made equal with God, but took upon himself the form of a servant as low as he could possibly go and then to be highly exalted by God the Father. This entire journey that he was on was meant for one purpose and one purpose only. Verse number 11, to the glory of the Father. (laughs) Why did Jesus, why was Jesus God in the first place? Why did God allow Jesus Christ, the Son, to create all things? For the glory of himself, the glory of the Father. Why did Jesus come to this earth for the glory of the Father? Why did Jesus serve the way that he served, to the glory of the Father. Why did Jesus say all the things that he said? He said it to the glory of the Father. Why did Jesus go to the cross to be suffer, bleed, and die for the glory of the Father? Why did Jesus rise again the third day, victorious over sin, death, and the grave? The glory of the Father. Why did Jesus ascend to heaven with a promise to come back again one day to the glory of the Father? Why do you and I exist? Oh, guess what? To the glory of the Father. What do we find from creation all the way to the end of the book of the Revelation? The glory of the Father. Everything circles back around to the glory of the Father. Why are we here today? The glory of the Father. What's the meaning of life? Easy. The glory of the Father. Why were we created? Very easy. Glory of the Father. It's crazy this idea of the glory of the Father is almost the answer to everything in the world. And here's, here's a hard thought that I've had to wrestle with the last two weeks. Why is my daughter in the hospital? You know why? The glory of the Father. That's it. You say, you really think that God would make a 12-year-old girl sick within an inch of death for his own glory? Absolutely. How does that make you feel? I'm thankful that I get to give glory to the Father through this. As we've had nurses come by our room and say, how are you guys doing? How are you holding up? We're doing great. And God's been really good to us. We're Christians. We've got a lot of folks that are praying. She's very loved, and we know that she's taken care of. Are you scared? Not a bit. Fear hasn't entered into my mind one time. Last Sunday, uh, my daughter's room's kind of on the corner of the second floor uh, overlooking the, one of the parking lots there at the hospital, and Last Sunday, probably, I don't know, 30 or 40 folks went over and 
stood outside her room because she can't have visitors. So he stood outside her room and kind of waved and made signs and stuff like that. It was super awesome. And um, it's amazing when the nurses came by and saw all the people that were out there. And she was like, oh my goodness, this is crazy. She said, all of your friends showed up here today to say hi. And McKinley goes, oh, this isn't all my friends. I got a whole lot more than this. <laughs> and the nurse was like, what? Yeah. Why are we doing everything that we're doing? To the glory of the Father. If you're taking notes, Revelation 4.11, you should write that down and read it this week. Why were you created? Why do you exist? To the glory of the Father. All of this wraps back around. All of it. Back to the glory of the Father. You can't get around it. A few simple thoughts and we're done. First of all, I want to ask you this question. Jesus Christ is Lord, whether you like it or not, whether you and I agree with that or not, but let me ask you this question. Do you recognize Jesus Christ as Lord of your life? Do you really allow him to call the shots? Do you really allow him to be in charge? Is he really Lord? That's a question only you can answer. I don't know the answer for you. But I know for me, there's been times in my life where I've been running the show, where I've been calling the shots. And I'll, I'll pray and I'll ask God to bless the stuff that I'm already doing. Like, hey, I'm Lord, but you can give me that little push every now and then. That's not allowing him to be Lord. Lord says, what would you have me do, master? Second question, do I revere his name? Do I recognize the name of Jesus as a name of power? Do I recognize and approach the name of God with such reverence that I really think about what that word means? For me, I can, I can hear a lot. I grew up in, in public school. I rode the bus to school. And if there was a curse word, I knew it by the time I was in second grade. I joined the Navy right out of high school. The, the phrase, cuss like a sailor, they don't come by that without uh, actually earning it. And I mean, just being around people with foul, foul mouths. And so I, there was a time in my life where I became hardened to it. And I would tell you, probably over the last 15 years, from the music that I listen to, the people that I spend time with, and the movies that I watch, I've almost created a bubble where I just don't even hear that stuff anymore. So to hear somebody curse, just kind of just like, oh, wow, where did that come from? You know, I have a conversation with somebody and they just drop the F word like it was nothing. It's just like, whoa, I wasn't ready to hear that. But I'm telling you one thing that, that would just stop me dead in my tracks is to hear God's use name, name used in conjunction with a curse word. That's just like a non-starter for me. Like, hey, I don't want to ever hear that again. Like, I don't care who you are. I don't care where I'm at. I don't care what I'm doing. I hear you say that. I'm going to say, hey, could you please not use that word around me? I would appreciate that. And you say, like, oh, you can't do that. Okay, I'll do it. Isn't it interesting that, that our society is so fearful of, of, of hurting other people's feelings and so, uh, so fearful of using the wrong words, the right adjectives or the, the wrong uh, names for somebody that they'll be really, really careful with that. But people don't think twice about the name of my Lord and Savior. I can't stomach that. So I'm just going to say, hey, look, I'd appreciate if you didn't use words like that around me. I'd appreciate if you didn't say that. That it just doesn't sit well with me. And if that means I'm ostracized, or I'm looked at as weird, that's okay. I'm not going to have people blaspheme my, Lord, blaspheme my Lord's name in my presence. Just not going to do it. If it comes on a television show, I'm going to give you about another 10 minutes and, and I'm going to be done with that because I just can't hear it. 
But here's the thing that I found about Christians is oftentimes, sometimes Christians will use God's word, maybe not in conjunction with a curse word, but as an exclamation, like, oh my, and then using God's name. One of the Ten Commandments that still stands today, thou shalt not use the Lord's name in vain for no reason. God's name is not an exclamation. We don't use the term Jesus Christ whenever we're shocked by something or surprised by anything. And I've even seen Christians that do that. If that's you, I'm not against you. I'm not mad at you. I'm just asking you, don't ever do that again. It's a sin. Repent of it. Move on. Be better than that. But do you revere the name of Jesus? Is it a special name to you? When we sing things like the name of Jesus, does that like something inside of you go, oh, yeah, Jesus, that's good. Do you have a reverence for the name of Jesus? Next. Will I worship Jesus later or am I worshiping him now? And when we think of the word worship, sometimes we use the word worship synonymously with the word music and that's just kind of a misnomer as far as sometimes people say like, oh, the, the worship of that church was great. What they're talking about, the music. The word worship literally means to, to lay down, face down in front of. That's what the word worship means. And so the idea of worship is for me to be on my face before whoever, before God. So the idea of worship is not so much a body position as much as it is, is a heart condition. So it's less about me laying down on my face in front of, and it's more about my heart being made low before. It's a recognition that I am nothing of nothing, and God is God of all gods. And recognizing the difference between the two and approaching God as such, that's worship. So worship is less about the, the position of my body, less about the, the songs that I sing, more about the condition of my heart. And so that's why we can say the music that we want to sing and listen to is praise and worship music. And I'll tell you this, if you want to change your life, take the next 14 days, just 14 days, that's all you have to do. Next 14 days and listen to only praise and worship music. I'm telling you this, it'll change your life, change your life. And, and when I say praise and worship, I'm talking about music that praises the name of God and music that draws your heart in worship towards God and a recognition of who he is and causes you a deeper appreciation for him. Now, unfortunately, many of the things that are on Christian radio today might be positive, they might be encouraging, but much of it could not be categorized as praise or worship music. And so I'm talking about finding music, whether back in the day we used to say things like, oh, you need to get some good tapes to listen to, you need to buy some CDs. Hey, look, go on Spotify, go on YouTube, listen to some worship music. It'll change your life, change your life. Just 14 days. Try it. If it doesn't work, go back to M&M and Ice Cube. That'll help you, right? <laughs> but one of my friends says it this way. He talks about your personal devotion time, of time in the Word and time in prayer. He doesn't call it personal devotional time. I like what he calls it personal worship time. He said, you know, I had some personal worship time this morning before I went to work. Oh, I love the idea of that. Because sometimes we think we can only worship at church. Bad idea. Worship all the time, 24-7. But spend time in prayer. Spend time in the Word. Spend time singing on your own to God. Worship. Because there's coming a day where you worship Him, like it or not. I've heard some people say before too, like, oh, you don't like singing in church. You better get ready because when you go to heaven, it's just a bunch of singing. And some people are like, oh, heaven's going to be a drag then, you know? The worship of God will never, I'm trying to think of the right, 
will always be exciting. I was going to say never not exciting, uh, but I didn't want to use double negative. The worship of God should always be exciting. And again, I, I went to, I traveled to Malaysia two years ago and, and the songs that they sang, I didn't know a single solitary word of it, but man, something inside of me resonated because I knew the God that they were speaking of and I knew what they were talking about and I felt in the depths of my soul. But don't just wait to worship him later, worship him now. The chorus, I think it was the, the Gathers that uh, wrote it, there's something about that name. Jesus, 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 there's something about that name. How many of you know that chorus? We're going to sing it this morning. I want you to think about the words as you're singing, all right? Jesus, 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 there's just something about that name. Master, Savior, Jesus, like a fragrance after the rain. Jesus, 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 let all heaven and earth proclaim. Kings and kingdoms will all pass away, but there's something about that name. Nothing like the name of Jesus. Most important thing in the world, if you're here today and you don't know for sure that you're saved, please don't leave here today without knowing for sure your sins are forgiven in heaven and your home. I'm not trying to get you to join our church or to, to be baptized or anything like that. We're just trying to make sure that you know for sure your sins are forgiven in heaven and your home. For those of us that would call ourselves Christian, is Jesus Christ Lord of your life this week? If so, let's lift him up. Let's exalt him. Let's give him the credit and the honor and glory that he's due. Are you living for the glory of God this week or are you kind of doing your own thing? Let's live for his glory because that is what life is all about. Thanks for joining us for the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast. We'd love to have you as our guest this Sunday morning at 10 a.m. You'll find exciting classes for your keiki, a welcoming church family, and a message from the Bible that's sure to encourage your heart. Join us this Sunday. You belong here.